Hello, everybody, um, and welcome to Marketing Ops Confessions. Super excited to have everyone here. Um, we'll go through a little housekeeping, but feel free to use the chat. Um, we've got folks from the Mad Kudu team um, on the chat that can help answer any questions that you might have or any technical difficulties. Um, but uh, without further ado, let's let's get started. So first and foremost, welcome to all of you to our Mad Kudu weekly series. Um, where we like to pass the mic to the unsung heroes of modern B2B marketing teams, um, i.e. The, the marketing operation folks, um, where they're gonna share their lessons learned. And I'm super thrilled to be hosting today. My name is Laura Kendall and I run marketing here at, at Mad Kudu. Um, and I'm joined with Liz Medlicott of Model N. Um, but before I introduce Liz, we do have a few housekeeping items to go over. Um, the first being, like I just mentioned, feel free to use the chat, introduce yourself, share your LinkedIn. Um, if you want to connect with folks or want folks to connect with you, um, if you have any thoughts on what Liz or I are talking about today, um, feel free to share them. Um, part of Livestorm, we also have this fun little toolbar where you can you know, shoot emojis up, which I think folks are doing already. So that's great. It's, it's fun. Um, Part of what makes this series unique is our AMA or Ask Me Anything format. If you have any burning questions or have additional questions about things that, that Liz shares today, feel free to submit them in the questions tab and, and we'll do our best to get to it at the end. Um, quick reminder that everyone is muted um, and that we do record these. So um, you'll be able to get the recording if you do have to jump off early, uh, and, and you'll also be able to visit other sessions that we've had as well. Um, and we can we can drop the link for where we have those recordings in the chat. So um, one final note is that a, a big thank you for all of you to att for attending. We'll be sending after the event um, a, a $25 gift card from Uber Eats for, for attending. So enjoy lunch on, on the house on Mad Kudu and, and thanks so much for being here. So without further ado, I'm excited to introduce Liz Medlicott. As I mentioned, she is the Director of Marketing Operations for Model N. She's worked for a variety of different size and stage companies, including both public and unicorns. Um, and actually a fun fact is that Liz and I worked together at Aptis about five or six years ago. Yeah. I think. <laughs> uh, and, and in my opinion, she's an absolute super sleuth when it comes to setting up and optimizing marketing and sales technology and processes. And both of those we will, we will get into more today, but I, I want to pass it to you, Liz. Welcome. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. I'm super excited. Awesome. Well, we're excited to have you here. Um, I think to just really kick things off, I, I would love to have you tell um, tell our audience a bit about your journey and how you got to where you're at today at, at Model N. Yeah. So um, I've been doing marketing ops for about 10 years now. Um, I kind of fell into marketing ops because marketing ops was a newer function about 10 years ago. Um, I was an intern at a company called EMC that's now owned by Dell. And I was an intern and I did kind of like an array of different things in marketing and I gravitated towards marketing operations. Um, I think just because I have an analytical background, um, even in school, I, I did, I majored in marketing, but I also did a lot of accounting and finance. Um, so I think it was like a really good mix of both of those skills. Um, and then, you know, back then we were using the first, I think, marketing automation tool called a Primo. Um, I was, I 
you know, put together the Serious Decisions Waterfall for EMC. So that was kind of newer back then as well. Um, but I wanted to use some of the newer tools and work in more of a startup um, environment. So then I moved to a company called Inside View. Um, that's where I learned Marketo. But um, it was, you know, definitely a smaller company. And I really wanted to work for somebody who had a marketing operations background. And that's what led me to Aptis and working with you, um, specifically also Maria Pergolino, who um, maybe some of you on the call know that she was at Marketo for quite some time and helped Marketo, you know, kind of build what their marketing is today. So it was awesome to work on a team with you. Laura was actually my manager at the time. Um, I learned a lot from you, Laura. And it was awesome because we had, I think it was like four of us at, in marketing ops at one point. And I felt like that's where I learned the most um, in marketing ops at that point in my career. Um, after you know being at Aptis, I kind of wanted to go to a smaller company, and I was the team of one at a few smaller startups. Um, and then I kind of realized, you know, as much as I love working on a team of one, and we can talk more about that later, I also wanted to work for a company who you know had a background in marketing operations, at least my manager. And um, that kind of led me to Model N because my current manager had worked with um, a consulting company that we both worked with previously, CS2, and yeah. they had. They had referred me there, and so I knew I would be working with them again. Um, and my manager had done marketing ops in the past. So that's what led me to Model N, and I've been here for about a year now. That's amazing, yes. And working <laughs> at, at Optus, and I mean, what a great opportunity for both of us, right? Like, it was um, yeah. what Maria built there with um, the team back in, gosh, six years ago was what, 2015? Yep. Um, we really valued marketing operations, and I want to touch totally. on that today is is um, you know especially when you're a small team um, how do you ensure that that you're building a marketing department where marketing operations is the foundation because it is truly the most important thing as we um, you know transcend into the digital first world that we're we're finding ourselves in um, so I do want to dive into the you know being a, a team of one um, I think a lot of us on this this call today, can agree that the expectation is that even if you're a small team, and, and this could be whether you're in marketing operations or a different function within marketing, you're kind of expected to do the same as if you are a team of three or five or more. Okay. Um, and, and it's clear that you, Liz, are, are, are punching you know, way above your resource weight class. Share, can you share a little bit about how you've been successful as a team of one? And, and then we can dive into a bit of like, how do, how do you scale yourself if you're in a small team? But um, yeah, I want to kick the the kind of sure conversation yeah. off here. Yeah, so um, you know, there's definitely pros and cons of working on a team of one. Like, obviously, if you're a team of one, sometimes you can get certain things done faster, but then there's other things that can take longer. Like, for example, I'm kind of operating right now as a team of one, um, except for I do have the help of CS2 marketing. Um, one of my team members is on maternity leave right now and we're backfilling another role. So that's why I'm kind of working as a team of one, even though we're we're looking to grow our team currently. But um, yeah, I think, you know, the key really I have found is working with a consultancy. Like that's one of the biggest things. Um, I understand that maybe some companies don't have the resources also for, you know, or budget for a consultancy, but they make your life so much easier because it's almost like, for example, CS2, I think they have like 10 people now. So you're, when I have a problem or if I'm trying to figure something out and maybe I just don't have the time for it, I can just shoot them a Slack message and usually they can find the answer or, you know, 
work together to find the answer a lot faster than I would be able to, especially if you're in charge of, you know, there's so many things that marketing ops, like you mentioned, are responsible for. And a lot of times, you know, companies don't even realize all of these other functions fall within marketing operations. So I think that has been super helpful. Um, another really big thing too that I have found is how like ensuring that your the rest of your marketing team is enabled with Marketo. And so I've worked with teams where um, maybe my CMO didn't want other marketers in Marketo. So I think you really need like executive buy-in. Um, and also just to show, you know, the rest of the team, like what they are capable of. Plus it's good on their resume. They can understand more of like when things go wrong. Um, I think that's been super huge for me too, is enabling the team. And I know when we were at Aptis, we, yeah, okay. we did a large project on that and we tried to get, you know, the rest of the marketing team because even though we had four people in marketing operations, our marketing team was like 40 people, I want to say. Wow. So it's still a lot, right? So it depends on how many campaigns you're expected to push out each week. What are those types of campaigns? And then everything else you're responsible for. So I think those are two huge pieces of, you know, trying to get external help that can help you. Yeah. And then, you know, making sure that your team is enabled to help at least create programs, um, or at least even just editing emails. So like, I actually don't even build my emails anymore at all. I have my team do it. They go through our VP of marketing for approvals. And I've, I feel comfortable with, you know, what I've seen from them. I mean, obviously it was a gradual, you know, learning curve, but um, yeah, that those are two big pieces. And then I would also say another big piece that I found is making sure that you have a really good relationship with sales operations. Um, one of the things that I've done, and we kind of talked about this before, was um, like CS2 now, they have someone who's really great on their team who can, what we have is like a sandbox for Salesforce, and they'll actually write all of the code for what I want to push live. And then I'm able just to give a link to my sales ops team, and the turnaround is so much faster. So I think those are some of yeah. the big pieces. That's, that's awesome. And I think there's a lot that we can dive into just on, on those three topics. And so let's start with, with leveraging agencies because yeah. uh, that's really interesting. And, and one, what I, maybe a misconception, I don't know, but oftentimes we think of agencies as, as who you're going to just give kind of the, the grunt work to and they're going to execute oh, yeah. their strategy. But when you are a small team, and, and I've been there too, and and have to side note, I have to give mad props to CS2 because I've hired them on in a few too. So we can, yeah. we can send Lincoln, <laughs> send Charlie and Chrissy some, some leads. But um, a major way that I think Liz and I have both leveraged agencies is just as a sounding board. Like totally. they don't even need to do the work. You could still have the your, your full-time employees doing the work. But if you think about the amount of experience and exposure they have to different companies that they are helping, yeah. you're getting access to that expertise just by you know having a sounding board. Yeah, no, I I actually try not to have them do grunt work because I want them to be like there I think of them as my partner on every project. So now I literally go to them with every project whether it be just to talk about it and the strategy of how I'm going to do the work or we like divide and conquer. Um and you know like they they, they keep on growing. And I swear, like now they have experts in like almost every tool, I feel like. <laughs> um, and like it, it sometimes you just don't have time to do certain things so they can they can do it, you know, in between the weeks that you meet with them. 
it's been a huge, huge help. And I've learned so much from them too. And I, and I, like what you said, I always ask them, I'm like, so how are the other companies that you're working with yes. are doing it? You know, like they don't have to give me the names, but just tell me what other people are doing. So I can take that into consideration when I'm working on a certain project or building something new. Yes. We are not reinventing the wheel. I like to think that our problems are not so unique that no one has ever, never right. come across them. It's, it's our job as, as marketing operators to figure out the most efficient way that somebody else might have solved a similar problem and then implement it in a way that helps the company. Um, and then I love what you're saying about empowering your teams and, yeah. and you know the marketing folk around you to be able to get their hands dirty in marketing technology. Totally. Everyone should be a marketing technologist nowadays. And especially cool, and I, I remember this from Aptis as well, people were asking us, they were like, I wanna learn. Oh, totally. I know how to do it. And like, we, yeah, we had to get our, our processes in place to, to make sure that we were comfortable letting, you know, 35 different hands in there. Yeah, no, I know that like other companies that I've talked to, like I, AWS, they do like training programs and they have like, they basically certifications internally with their team to make sure that they're ready to actually execute in Marketo. Like that's not saying that I would ever have one of my other marketers who's not, you know, has a background in marketing operations hit send, but I'm just having them do some of the basic like cloning or, you know, renaming, they know how to edit and that sort of thing. And the list builds, I still do myself just because that sometimes can be a little confusing, especially when you have tons of fields and sometimes fields sound the same. So that sort of stuff, I always do myself or someone on my team. But like you said, like the email piece, all of that, um, I feel like they, they like it better too, because they have more control. And one of the other pieces that can make this possible. Um, I've heard Marketo out of the box templates have gotten a lot better, but um, when I joined, one of the first things I did recently was create all new templates that were really, really easy for the team to use. So I had my design team create the actual, you know, the design of it. And then I um, went to a company called Uplers and had them convert it into a Marketo format. And they were really great. Like we had a lot of, I mean, things that we had requested um, just because you, as you probably remember, um, Marketo can be a little bit clunky when editing emails. So I don't want them to have to go into the HTML or anything like that. It should be really like drag and drop, super easy. Yeah, yeah, it's important to have kind of the, the guide rails for them, but, but really empowering them. Yeah. Um, so as you know, you've gone through different organizations and, and been either a team of one or part of a small team, how do you think about the balance between doing things manually and, and leveraging technology to automate? And, yeah. and when is the right time to do that? How do you not overwhelm yourself or your team in implementing you know, a, a tech stack that's you know, too advanced for where, where a company is? Totally. And, you know, it's funny because since I'm a little bit short staffed right now, um, I we're trying to implement a couple of tools and it's taking a little bit longer just because of bandwidth issues. So I totally understand where you're coming from in that aspect of sometimes it's just too many tools to manage, even though they're doing they're automating. There still has to be somebody who's setting it up correctly, making sure that, you know, it's still continuing to work the way you want it to work. Um, I definitely find that there are certain tools that can make your life so much easier. So like when I first joined Model N, um, I, we had just ended our contract with Lean Data. Um, 
their you know, reasoning, which I totally understand, is that we have a small BDR team. We can build this in Marketo or Salesforce. I know we've built lead routing before <laughs> together. Um, so I built it in Marketo. But the problem was, is like I was also trying to do things like fuzzy matching for leads. And um, anytime I wanted to update it, it would take me like hours to do. Um, and so I started like documenting all of that too, to try to build a case for myself of like why we need lean data. Um, and probably like after three or four months I was there, we actually signed on back on with lean data and it's so much more efficient, especially because we work primarily out of contacts. Um, so it can auto convert to contacts. Like we had somebody who was manually converting leads to contacts. And it's like, even just the time it takes to do that is ridiculous. So it's like, that's an easy one. And that's also an easy tool to manage. Of course, there's other tools that are much more complex to manage and you should definitely make sure that you have the bandwidth if you're going to go with a tool that's more complex. Um, another example is Sifrock, uh, which is now called um, Drift Email that we recently purchased where, I mean, whenever you send out large email sends and especially like from where I'm at right now too, we go after large enterprise companies. So we have lots of contacts at a company that we're trying to target. And I know Aptis, it was the same, same thing. And so all of the auto replies you get from those emails, like you should be, and I think a lot of companies don't do this, go through them and make sure no one's replying unsubscribe or, um, you know, asking a question that could be relevant to sales. And so what Sifrock or Drift Email does is it automatically looks at those replies and can automate either, you know, unsubscribing someone um, who's like left a company, for example, if there's other contacts in their auto reply, if you wanted to add those contacts to your database, I mean, obviously you should consider GDPR when you're doing all of that, but um, just an example of some of the things that they can do and also flag if it's like a question for sales and you can route it to sales. So that sort of thing, I mean, it, at somebody at this level, like the time it takes me to go through all those auto replies, if I'm only a team of one, it's just not efficient use of your time. So I think tools like that, that are easy to set up and can take you know large chunks of your day away from you that you shouldn't probably be focusing on are super crucial. Absolutely. And I, I like what you're you brought up about documenting or needing to document how long it takes you to do something. And I think that's an unfortunate result of some of the misconception of, you know, or just really how marketing apps has been perceived sometimes yeah. because they're like, well, shouldn't it be, it should be easy. Just send the email, yeah. you know, so many steps that go into any of those things. And, and, um, you know, so I think you you hit the nail on the head head there, but it sounds like you've been able to really build a, a great relationship with your manager. And yeah. by as a result, you've been able to ensure that marketing apps is, is a valued function within the company. Um, what advice do you have for for folks that might be sitting in a different situation <laughs> yeah. um, to get to where you are? Totally. I think, you know, it's it's difficult because I've worked at companies where marketing operations wasn't as valued. Um, I think I intentionally chose where I'm at now because I knew that my manager, like I had mentioned previously, like she had worked in marketing ops at one point. She had been working with CS2 and Charlie for five years. So she knew more detail of what it takes to, you know, do everything in marketing operations. Um, and also when, if you make a mistake, which 
is really easy to do in marketing operations. And I think a lot of other, you know, functions don't realize that there's so many things that can go wrong super easily. And sometimes those things might not be your fault. It could be something that you inherited, you didn't realize was turned on. I think one of the biggest things uh, that is helpful too, if right when I join a company, my first initiative usually is to audit a Marketo database um, just to make sure that, you know, there's nothing that should that's going on that shouldn't be so like detailing that out and probably working with your manager and saying these are the things that i'm seeing that i think should be priorities so that they have you know that understanding from the beginning um that's not to say that that's always going to work because i mean it sometimes people think that you need to get things done much faster than what's even possible which has happened a lot in my career um but i think you know making sure that they understand what is actually happening behind the scenes is huge. Yeah, yeah. And as it relates to tech, when you find technology and you know that bringing in this this tool or this system is going to help you scale, yeah. How do you, how do you paint that picture and how do you ask for budget? Yeah, I think, you know, going back to the example of like lean data, like I was saying, like I just documented pretty much how long it was taking me and also what the repercussions are. So for example, like what is the value of if this lead goes to the wrong person or yeah. to a person who's no longer here that you could be losing, not just like, uh, like my time is being wasted, you know, updating this every so often. I can't do it in real time. If someone leaves a company, I might not have time to update that. What if I'm on vacation? You know, like there's so many things that can happen. And then that lead, maybe it's even a contact us and it goes to the wrong person. And then that person's not followed up with. So, and I've seen that happen too. <laughs> so I think that, you know, like trying to prove the value of like what could actually go wrong. And same with um, Sifrock, what I went to my team with, I was like, Hey, do you know what the, you know, the cost of violating GDPR in a worst case scenario is it's either $4 million or I think it's like 4% of your revenue, whichever's higher. So it's like, can we afford a tool that's going to cost like, you know, I think Sifrock is like 5k or something. So it's like just even putting that into perspective and like, I, I try to, you know, communicate to them too. Like it makes me uncomfortable. Like I don't want to be the person sending that email that can potentially cause legal repercussions either. So, yeah. Um, well, great relationship with your manager, great buy-in at model N for marketing ops being valued. Who else do you need to build a strong relationship with to be successful in your role. I know you mentioned sales apps earlier, so I'm assuming that's a good place to start, but yeah. Yeah. How, who and how? Totally. See, I mean, sales ops is huge. And I think, you know, we talked about this before. Um, I've worked on a team where I was under like a revenue ops organization. Then I've also worked under marketing organizations like we did at Aptis. Currently I'm sitting underneath marketing. Um, I feel really, really lucky because my sales ops person, Melissa, I'll give her a shout out. She's amazing. And we meet, frequently we we have a you know standing meeting once a week and we actually have like our vp of sales ops or sales i guess and then also our my vp of marketing my manager so it's like executive buy-in too um and if i you know ever have something that is taking longer like i i work with like the whole team basically so I think that is super critical. I know like at Aptis, we we had a really good relationship with sales ops as well. But, you know, especially at a public company, things can take longer. So I really like the piece of like now having CS2 write a lot of what I need in sales ops because I'm trying to make their life easier too. 
Um, I feel like most of the time with sales ops, it's me requesting stuff from them. So that's why I'm trying to think of ways to make it even easier that they can, they don't have to always be, you know, just answering to me. They can just, you know, work with what I have already. Um, And then of course, like sales too. So um, as you know, like we worked really closely at Optus with the sales teams. Um, We try to do a lot of documentation and training. Um, I remember like we did those like onboarding training sessions and we'd have like a group of BDRs join because we had a really large BDR team at one point. Obviously, like it's it's always going to be a little bit difficult because there's always the complaints of like, oh, this isn't a good lead or whatever. Um, but I think if you develop a good relationship with like the head of BDRs or, you know, your SDRs, um, that can be you know super helpful as well, too. So right now, like I feel like I have such a good relationship with both my head of BDR and sales ops. And it's like a dream. That's <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, shameless plug, if six years ago we had Mad Kudu, we probably wouldn't have had those conversations. <laughs> uh, if isn't a good leader, that lead is, isn't a good lead. Yeah. So you mentioned that you've you've sat under a, a few different departments in, in your previous roles. I, I yeah. have to ask, what, what is your preference? What is your point of view on, on a centralized yeah. operations RevOps team versus, you know, the, the split? Totally. So... I think it's really good in theory to have a revenue operations team. And I still think it's possible. Like, but I also think that a lot of companies aren't necessarily ready for it. Um, Also, it's like when you are in a revenue ops team, you're kind of like have two bosses and they might not always have the same agenda or opinions on what your priorities should be. Um, I will say I kind of have a preference to be on the marketing team just because they kind of have seen everything that has, if they worked in marketing before, they've probably worked with an operations person. Yeah. They have more empathy. I feel like when things go wrong, cause they can and they will. Um, and that's not to say that I don't think a revenue operations team wouldn't work. I think it just depends on the dynamic. And you know, if this, if they've ever been on a revenue ops team before, and if they've worked with marketing ops that closely, so they actually understand the function. Yeah. Yeah. And I can, you know, one thing that we hear sometimes is, is if, let's say marketing apps reports into sales, which I think you said you've, you've reported into sales before as well. Yeah, That's even further removed, right? Um, yeah. There's a, a lack of empathy, as you mentioned, and how it impacts marketing programs and campaigns. And, and um, you know, that's, yeah. It, it's interesting to get people's take on that because I think there's varying opinions and, and points of view. Yeah, I'm just curious. Have you asked other people that too on these calls? I mean, I've listened to some of them, but I'm just curious of like what the the divide is, like what people are else other people are saying about it. I think I think there's a pretty good divide. I think that um, you know, actually, I forget who who mentioned it, but there was a, a conversation about how there aren't really great examples of where revenue operations is um, you know set up as a as a core function outside of both sales and marketing and has been, you know, has really knocked it out of the park. So yeah. um, maybe hot takes, if anyone out here just <laughs> happy to be challenged and would love to have a North Star to to aspire to. And and I'm sure everyone else on the call would love that as well. Yeah, it's, um, actually, it's actually funny. I, there was one company that I worked for that I was on the revenue ops team and then a new CMO came in and he wanted me to be on the marketing, op, uh, marketing team. So I got moved actually. So I've kind of experienced like all different scenarios and i i think for me personally i i do tend to prefer to be on the marketing team but like again you have to have a strong relationship with everybody else (laughs) 
Yes, yes. And I think to your point, like not, maybe not every company is, is set up or ready for that yeah. from an operations perspective. Because it, you know, if I think about myself and, and my marketing team, I, it would be hard to not have um, access to a, a real-time live resource. Like if it felt like a shared resource, I think that's where things kind of fall. And then you know, might try to solve for things that they wouldn't have traditionally used their, their marketing ops team to do. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Um, so, so back to like building great relationships in, in the company, how has that changed for you over, you know, the last, you know, year to 18 months, just given COVID and, and being. Yeah. yeah. So I'm actually permanently remote. I joined Model N um, wanting to be permanently remote. And I was a little bit nervous too, because I had worked, you know, some days remote, but not full-time you know, over the course of months consistently. Um, and it's funny, I love working remote personally, just because, especially with marketing ops, sometimes I just need no one to be around while I'm building something. Um, just because it takes so much concentration or like when I'm doing, you know, board decks and stuff like that, like I need, you know, my space. But you also have to be able to work with a team. Like I'm constantly pinging people. Um, the great thing about the team I'm on now is we actually are really spread out across the US. So I'm working with a lot of people on the East Coast. I'm working with some people in Denver. Um, and the great thing is, is like everybody is really responsive. I think you have to like over communicate. So if I'm going to be out, I let everybody know. Um, and, you know, we all are really understanding that people have lives and it's not a big deal, but just making sure to communicate um, and making sure you're setting up consistent meetings with the rest of the team. So we have like, you know, a standing marketing meeting once a week and a metrics call. I have my sales ops call once a week. I'm meeting with my manager at least once a week. Um, a lot of times we just hop on calls too. Um, we also do no meeting Wednesdays, which I really like. Um, I end up probably taking a few meetings anyways, but it's nice to have that chunk of time. So like, you know, if you have meetings, you know, throughout the week, you have time to focus and work. So I think that's been really helpful too. Yeah, having having those systems in place and and good meetings and efficient meetings, yeah. not just meetings to have a meeting is is probably yeah. super important. Um, so shifting a little bit, um, I know we've we've talked a bit about process throughout. That that is one yeah. topic I wanted to really dive into, um, you know, because I think that process is important no matter what. But man, is process important when you're trying to. Um, you know, scale yourself and, and right. a, a bigger team than you are. Um, so maybe we can start talking about like SLAs and, and your, your perspective on those, what you've seen work, what hasn't worked, what lessons yeah. you've learned. Um, I think we often think about SLAs as being with sales around lead follow-up, but there are other super important SLAs in a well-oiled revenue machine. So um, really? tell us about the SLAs that you care about as, as, a, as a small marketing ops. Small yeah. yeah. So if, you know, I think a lot of people are familiar with like lead follow-up SLAs, like you mentioned. So I'll kind of focus more on my internal marketing SLAs. So um, when I first joined uh, Model N, there wasn't really a process put in place for when campaigns, for example, are requested. Um, and it was sort of just like, hey, like I need this by this date. And we were tracking a lot of it in Monday.com, but there wasn't really any formal SLAs in place. 
Um, and we, so what I've done is like built basically a campaign ops request and also a ticketing system for MOPs. So I have two different forms. One is just for campaigns, which is like anything from setting up a webinar to setting up just a Salesforce campaign for tracking anything that falls under campaigns goes on that board. And then everything else for MOPs, like say they want to know like certain conversions or they have like a report they want me to build all or they found a bug or whatever that would all go under the mops ticketing system and so i'm actually like working with cs2 right now to help me really really get our campaign ops um process in a good place i think um what i built originally with them i actually built something with them back in september it was working but there was still like some gaps where we had a lot of you know back and forth um maybe people weren't really adhering to it completely um what i've done most recently when um, before someone on my team just had left, what we were doing is basically the SLA that we had in place was any campaign request had to be 10 days prior or more to when they wanted um, the campaign to actually be launched. And so of course there's like emergencies and all that. So if they were had something that was within those 10 days, they would have to come to me first and then I would have to approve it. And I basically got my manager's buy-in that I'm able to decline anything that I want to. I don't usually because I think you know, Charlie and Chrissy have always said this, that marketing ops are like people pleasers. So it's hard to say no, but I, I think it's just good to have that in your back pocket if you need to. But so 10 days prior, and then what I do is I have, um, so yeah, there's a 10 day window. And if you're like looking on the calendar, the Monday before things are supposed to go out, I have all of the campaigns due to me for QA. So then that gives me enough window of that week before the week where all of those campaigns are being launched to QA, to like come back with them and say, hey, your list is only this big. Do you wanna take a look at it? Or maybe you have, you know, a hundred people from one company. Like, how do you wanna like reduce this? Yeah. So I think that's been really helpful is like knowing every Monday, all of the campaigns are due for the following week. They should be all set to go for the most part with the exception of those few questions. Um, I think that SLA has been really, really helpful. Um, and we also have by Thursdays for the following week, all of the emails need to be QA'd and approved by our VP. So, so I, I, oh, sorry. Oh, I, no, go ahead. Questions coming in and, and so maybe we can answer some of these live. Yeah. When, when you have people submit through those forms, mm -hmm. how do you organize everything? Are you, you mentioned monday.com, is that what you use? Yep, we use monday.com. So basically we have all different kinds of questions. Let me see if I can even pull it up to remind myself of what's all on there. But we basically, you know, there's a we have a campaign name builder that they use. So that's like the name of the request. They put that in there as well. They put what type of um, channel um, if there's an email send, there's a pick list of all of the people that they want to send it to. So we have segmentations that we've built that are pretty standard. We also have um, certain segmentations for suppressions. I know we did a lot of that when we were at Aptis too, building. Suppression you know, lists are great. Yeah. So I have like a full list of them and I could always share those with, you know, anybody who's interested after. Um, so there's an array of questions and some of them are like, do you want to do a resend of this if the open rate is like below a certain amount? Um, there's all kinds of different questions that I could, again, I can share with the, um, anyone on the call if they're interested. Yeah, it looks like folks are pretty interested in the form. That, that yeah, yeah, I, I can share it, definitely. Let me yeah. see if I can pull it up really quick too, I'll just share on my screen. 
And, and how, you know, does that feel like a, a really needy process for you as a team of one? Brittany's asking, um, being on a smaller team, how do you manage a formal QA process? Oh, totally. I mean, that's, it is really difficult. Um, what I'm working with actually Drell on CS2 has been super helpful. Let me share my screen so I can show you one second. All right. Can you see my screen here? Live uh, take <laughs> So this is, we're still, we had a QA checklist before, um, but this is sort of a newer one that we're rolling out right now. So we actually have, this is like an, um, a larger document that kind of goes over everything that we're trying to cover with our SLAs. And then we have actually different QA lists depending on the type of program. And so in red, these ones like have to be filled out, for example. And these are going to be specific to every single team, right? Because for me, I, I'm not QAing the emails, but I have a QA. So whoever's doing the actual email piece, they have their own checklist. Whoever's sending it has their own checklist. And this can be a running document. So then you also have like basically a backlog of, you know, what has been QA'd, what hasn't been. Um, and it is sometimes hard to enforce people to use this, but my whole like philosophy on this is like, it's not gonna be sent out if this hasn't been completed. And then, got it, got it. Well, th this is fantastic. This looks awesome. And I can I can probably share some of this too um, with anyone who's interested. And let me see if I can pull up the form for Monday really quick so I can give you sort of a live demo of that as well. One sec. And this is actually, I feel like it's also just a very iterative process. Like we're always changing things depending on how we're doing stuff. And I, what I try to do is um, one example is sometimes with nurtures, you have um, ongoing nurtures, right? Or maybe it's just like a one time, like anyone who qualified in the beginning, you want them to run through it, but you don't want it to continuously to add people to it. And so one of the nurtures that we were doing recently I mentioned to you know the program manager like hey this other one's still on and she didn't even realize that she had set it to that so one of the questions on like our um form now is like do you want this to be an ongoing nurture or is this like a one-time nurture what is the end date so that it's like all documented and clear and there's less back and forth and you can refer back to that and be like hey you know like you said you wanted this to continuously run instead of maybe just having it over a conversation. So yeah. as much as sometimes documentation can feel like a burden, it can also save you in a lot of ways. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And and I know we had chatted about there. You had some great inspiration from, I think it was the GitHub example of their entire kind yeah. of operations documentation. So maybe we can drop the link for folks too, since it is such a great resource and, and they've done a great job of sharing kind of behind the scenes of what they've done. Yeah, I can share really too, um, really quick if you want to take a look and I can share the link as well. But I'm I'm super impressed. I'm nowhere near this level of documentation quite yet, um, but they've I love that they've shared it with anybody, you know, who's interested. Obviously, I don't think there's that much proprietary data in here, but it's more just saying like, OK, here's the team. Who do we work closely with? Um, some documentation, I think, on like list imports. And if you want to request a new tool, how do you go through that process? And I just love how clear it is and that there's, you know, one sort of source of truth that people can access. So I really love this. Awesome. And this is sort of like what my North Star is. I'm trying to eventually get to a place where I have it, you know, this clean. Well, I know that documentation is often the last thing um, that, that gets tackled. And, and we talked about you know the the conundrum of do you 
you know, do you have your agency work on documentation when they could be working on executing campaigns and strategy? Um, what's what's the balance there? And and I think you and I both agree that like it's important enough if you if you're enabling your marketing team and you need to ensure that your internal end user, i.e., sales, yeah. is able to do their job efficiently. Um, you know, keeping documentation up to date is super super important. Oh, completely. And things change so much. Like I've had to go in and change documentation. It's, and I know it's a pain to do it, you know, while you're trying to work on push something out. Um, but it's super critical because sometimes like even when I'm doing my quarterly metrics and if I forget like a step, which is so easy to do, like I always refer back to my documentation and make sure I'm like crossing all my T's and dotting all my I's because it's so easy to make mistakes really without it. Right, right. Um, I, I see we have another question kind of related to the SLAs. I feel yeah. like this is a good topic that people are interested in. Um, so Adam's asking, if you have a situation where, where leaders or managers seem a bit anti-process um, yeah. and, and that enforcement of the strict rules is something that they're not comfortable with yet, how do you or how have you gotten leaders in your organizations to commit to doing those SLAs and, and more strict processes? I think like it's really difficult, but you have to just probably like, again, try to document everything you're working on and say like, if I have to stop what I'm doing to work on this campaign, X, Y, and Z is not going to get done. Mm -hmm. So you know what, like, it's fine, but like, I'm sure there's other priorities that they want you to focus on than like pushing an email campaign live the next day. So I think that is something that I've always tried to be clear and communicate with. Like, Hey, if this needs to be done, that's fine. But this is dropping off my plate because I can't do it all. Great. <laughs> I know well, it's not always well received, but I mean, it's a reality, you know, whenever there's and no matter what, even if you have processes in place, there's always going to be fire drills. I'm sure you remember we've had to deal with a lot of them. Um, also, depending on like the time of the year, if you're you know, sponsoring a big trade show and stuff like that. I think it's just clear to set expectations um, in the beginning so that, you know, if you think you can do it all, like I just try to be played on the safe side, like, you know, don't overpromise. <laughs> I would try to underpromise and over promise Yeah. That's probably my best advice because things can also just take so much longer than you you really bake in the time for, especially with marketing operations. I mean, this morning, even I was queuing some stuff and I'm like, oh my God, I found something that was wrong. And then, you know, it took up like a good chunk of my morning to try to figure something out. And it's like, I didn't even a lot time for this. So I think the SLAs can really help you with that. Um, but of, of course there's going to be special situations where you have to go outside of those SLAs too. Yeah. And I think it's, it's really important to not just think about SLAs with your sales team. Those SLAs within your marketing team is, in my opinion, sometimes more important. Um, yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, I, that's been one of my main focuses over the past year. And and really, like, I don't really have to ever use that card of, you know, going to my executives to ask them to help me push back. I feel like a big piece of it is like building the relationships with who your customers are and um, who your stakeholders are. So they're understanding that this is taking up your bandwidth essentially. Um, and, you know, maybe even try to negotiate with them. Like, can we do it a day later? Like what is the repercussion of doing it one more day later versus today? 
So trying to think about, yeah, what those implications are. And a lot of times it's not that big of a deal to wait an extra day. I mean, at least it shouldn't be, right? You shouldn't be sending out your first invite for a webinar a week before anyways, so. Right, right. I like to think we're not we're not necessarily curing, we're not curing cancer. I don't wanna say we're not <laughs> companies that, that are, yeah. um, that are helping support that in, in some way. But um, so for folks that are new in their career or just yeah. getting started and are considering marketing operations as a, as a career path, what, yeah. what are the quick takeaways or, or bits of advice that you have for them? So I would probably recommend to work on a team of a lot of um, marketing operations people. I know like I, I talked about AWS before, but like I, and sometimes you might get kind of siloed into like one specific thing, but I still think mm -hmm. getting exposure to like a lot of different people who've had experience with marketing operations. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's also some things you can do, say, if you're not in marketing operations, I think basic things like getting really good at Excel um, has been super helpful for me. So like, thinking about free resources that you can, you know, look into. I know Marketo has some training that's free as well. Um, mm -hmm. Salesforce, Trailhead, all yeah. of those things are really, really helpful. So I think if you're like, say, a college student who's wanting to get into marketing operations, I don't really know if they're teaching anything with marketing operations now in school. I've heard maybe at some places they are a little bit more because it's becoming more of a well-known function. Mm -hmm. But when I was in school, I mean, I don't even think I ever heard about marketing operations because it was such a new function. Wow. Yeah. So I think, yeah, trying to get all those tools to an understanding of, you know, in also like serious decisions, like understanding the waterfall too. Um, and probably meeting with people who've done marketing operations. I found that marketing operations, a lot of the people in this space are super amazing and put out such great content like yourselves um, that there's a lot more resources. I would recommend watching any of these sessions. Um, CS2 has an amazing blog. I think that they put out really relevant content um, with a lot of the issues that marketing operations sees day to day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how crazy is it when we started using Salesforce I remember when I got certified I was scouring the internet for like yeah. old YouTube videos of shellblack.com yeah. all the different resources and now yeah. Trailhead and there's so many more resources oh yeah but, I think there's like Coursera classes there's all kinds of stuff that you can find yeah LinkedIn learning there, there's a lot so um, and thank you for sharing a few of, of your favorite resources. Yeah. Any anything else that you want to to plug as as great resources that folks should check out? Um, I think those were the main main ones. I would say. Um, I'm trying to think what else that I like like to go to. I know there's a couple of um, good Marketo videos on YouTube. Um, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. It's something like Ninja something. And I felt like he puts out really good, like resourceful um, videos that I've actually used. And the Marketo community too is really great. There's a couple of people, I'm sure you've seen them. I'm like blanking on their names right now, but they put out like amazing documentation for Marketo that I found really helpful over the years. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I know we're coming up on the hour here. Um, I want to just put one more plug. If anyone has any questions that we want to get to, I'll, I'll check for any stragglers that I missed before. Um, but but feel free to keep keep dropping them in. Um, it looks like we do have one around multi-touch attribution, um, which yeah. we have 
talked about, but um, the specific question is, what are the most critical questions you would look to answer once you've set up linear multi-touch attribution? So just, I mean, of course, how much is marketing contributing to pipeline? Um, what are the channels that are contributing the most? Um, what are the channels that are contributing to opportunities that actually close when? Um, I think another thing too is like, which is like not even related to necessarily attribution, but it also gives you a glimpse into if things are set up correctly. So like one of the things that I found with marketing attribution, like it didn't seem completely accurate when I first joined. We use Visible here at Model N. Um, for example, a lot of stuff was getting attributed to direct um, just because previously um, our marketing team wasn't aware of how critical UTMs are. So mm. I think first, like it can also give you an insight to if things are like set up properly. And then of course, like, you know, cause it's only as good as, your data is only as good as what you put into it. So I think that's one big thing that I've you know, uncovered, especially at Model N. Um, so I think that's the first thing. And then you can kind of dive into all of these other metrics that you're able to, you know, gain from multi-touch attribution. Yes, I love that. Your data is only as good as, as what was the last part and of that? Yeah, that's nice. Well, what you put into it, but also like okay. probably what the, what the person before put into it too, right? Yeah. So yes. yeah, that's been a big learning lesson too. Awesome. Well, I don't think we have any more questions. Um, and, and if we miss any, feel free to follow up. Um, Liz, you shared such amazing advice and really tactical resources too. Thank you so much. I think this is a really special episode. Um, and, and hopefully everyone is, is taking away some, some things that they can bring back to their organization. So thank you so much uh, for us. Of um, course. Where I should I drop those links? Should I put um, them in the chat? Yeah, put them in the chat and they'll be here for folks as they um, come back and revisit this and watch the recording. Um, and then just a quick reminder for everyone else that we, you know, we have a weekly series here. So, um, you know, we'll have folks joining um, over the next several weeks from Asana, Propel, Patreon and more. And, and next week is actually Mike Rizzo, who is the, the founder of the MoPros community. So if, if you're interested in coming back and want another gift card for lunch, um, you know, please come back and join us. But thank you so much, Liz. Thank you so much, Laura. It's awesome to be here. I really appreciate it.